We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Ooh, Tom Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. Good to see you again. It's nice to see you as well. Yeah. Yes. Welcome back. We rode here together. Right. Yes. But, and it's it's nice to see you guys too. Thank you guys so much for being here. We are coming at you live from the Luft in Bismarck. Love it. Great spot. Yes, it is. It is. So thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. It does amazing things. It keeps us out there and we are, we are rising the charts. Really? We're, we're, we're climbing charts. It is a really, really, really eye-opening moment recently. We hit number 238 on the charts. The podcast charts go to top 200. So thanks to all you guys and really the support and reviews you give yeah, us. It helps. It we're almost so going to get there and we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're coming. Yeah, we really, coming really, truly them. appreciate it. It's awesome. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? One bad apple gave us a one star. One bad apple says pathetic. Really disappointing to hear so much sympathy and compassion for drug dealers. They chose their path in life and it led them to their demise. I think I'm done with this podcast if it continues to follow this path. Let me tell you, I, I think a, I that drug dealer sympathy is three stars at the worst. Okay, <laughs> let's be real here. Let's be, yeah, you know, that's, went a little that's far fair. with that. That's fair. And one, one star. I, I struggle with that because, you know... I don't I don't think we gave a whole lot of a, a stamp of approval sympathy. on their like, lifestyle. But like, geez. yes, you should absolutely deal all the drugs. It's a it's a great thing. You'll never get murdered easily. You know, like, I mean, clearly from that last uh, that last episode that you did that was kind of centered around around drug that. dealer murder. You know, I think it's it's we, we tend to lose uh, sight that people are people. People mm-hmm. are human beings. And uh, but that's all right. You know, I guess apparently one bad apple just wants like. Fuck them all. Well, uh, no, and th- these ones always surprise me because there's an insinuation that they've heard a handful of episodes, and that's the only time we've given sympathy to drug dealers. So let's be real. It's like 40-some-odd yeah. episodes. We did it once, so right. we're well, not and- following the path. It wasn't our gateway drug, okay? <laughs> oh, good, oh, but, oh, that was clever. That was. Did you yeah. try that? Did no, you, I, that I had no good. idea that was coming. But I, I think, uh, you know, nobody, no human being deserves to be shoved into a trunk. I don't care what you chose to do in life or what your path was. Crumpled into a trunk. Crumpled into a trunk. All right. Um, So so anyways, we appreciate the review nonetheless. And it's it's, it's fun to always get those. This one's from Ruby or R. Hubie, five stars. I am from North Dakota, but living in South Dakota the last 30 years. I love true crime and I love the Midwest. So this is perfect. As a podcaster myself, Shrink Wrap the Podcast, I can so appreciate how smooth and easy you make it seem. You guys have incredible chemistry and hit the sweet spot of details. My husband and I especially love the nuggets at the beginning that put the listener in the mood of the time of the murder. 
Absolutely love your show. Sorry, not sorry for a shameless plug of our podcast, but I promise to give you a shout out the next time we record. That's, that's pretty worth awesome. It. That's, that's worth it. Yeah, that I is, like it. Well, I think it's it's that's cool. really neat to hear from uh, yeah. somebody else in the industry like it that. Really so is. We, yeah, we appreciate it is, that. It's really cool. So you can also buy us a hot dish or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest murder. And you can, and yeah, it, it is. And you can also support the show in the same exact way. Why, by going to tpublic.com slash stores slash Midwest murder. And that's a lot to remember sometimes. So if you just go to our Facebook page or hit up our social medias, we've got an easy link you can click. And that's where we have merch right now. You can get t-shirts, hoodies, all kinds of cool stuff. And, and yeah. we think it's neat to see that stuff. I'm wearing, wearing, I'm wearing one, one right, now. right now. And I was actually going to wear the same one. I'm not kidding. It's in my bag. She didn't want to uh, be teamers. It with was, me. it was weird. It was I, like, I put it on and I was like, we're too matchy matchy. Like this isn't, this isn't cool. So I, I promise I do wear some of our merch. <laughs> yeah. But right. We weren't going to be matchers. Tonight. No, we, we were not. So, oh, well, quick. What does the, what is the, what happens if somebody buys us a hot dish? Like, Dude, what do we well, do just, with Hey, it? just all kinds of fun stuff. Sometimes we buy beer. Other times we have to buy hotels because we get stuck in places. It's, it funds court documents oh. and really a lot of the different things that make the podcast go round. That helps. So if you want to do that little yeah. something extra, you go throw some, throw some money in the kitty there. All right. The year was 1983 and we have been here before. Episode one, Richard McNair. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh, what a throwback. I know. Thriller was number one on the charts and would remain there for 37 weeks. Nearly 40 years after the end of World War II, people were finally starting to be held accountable. Klaus Barbie, Gestapo, and an SS officer was convicted of crimes against humanity in France. He earned the nickname The Butcher of Lion, so I'm thinking he was a super cool dude. Yeah, sounds like fun at parties. He didn't own a butcher shop, you guys. The Commission on Wartime Relocation and Internment of Civilians, which had been created by U.S. Congress, agreed that the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II was wrong and recommended that those individuals received receive $20,000. Wow, I didn't know we kicked them any money after the fact. I yeah. think that's reasonable. Yeah. The ep- last episode of MASH aired and was the most watched finale on TV at 105.9 million viewers. It would hold that record and remain that way until Super Bowl a lot in 2010. <laughs> Super Bowl, whatever big number it was yeah. in 2010. Yeah. Alice Walker, who wrote The Color Purple, was the first woman to receive the Pulitzer Prize. And Sally Ride was the first U.S. woman to head to space. So awesome. lots of lots of cool things happening in, in 83. Return of the Jedi was released and would, re- would be the highest grossing film of 1983. Kiss appeared on MTV back when they played videos without their makeup for the first time ever. They're not real people without their makeup. Right. What? Did you That's know a real Kurt, thing? Did you I did know not Kurt, know they did one without their makeup. I don't think it was a video. I think it was like a, an interview. Okay. But did you know Kurt Loder is like 70 something? Yeah. It's yeah, weird. He's, yeah. It's weird. He's, he's our grandpa. Okay. I know. Yeah. But not really. He's more like our dad. That's that makes it feel weird. Sony and Phillips started the death of the cassette tapes in the U.S. by releasing the CD players. Time Magazine released its first ever typo by misspelling control on the cover. They missed the R. Interesting. They recalled all of the issues. So someone cost them a lot of money. David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. So he brought it back. I love magic. Nice. I'm, glad, I'm glad he was able to bring it back from He'd be a pretty shit if he didn't. Yeah. But in sports, sorry, Jonah, the Miami Dolphins lost to Washington. It's tragic. Yep. My man, Johnny Mac, or those who aren't his friends, Johnny McEnroe and Martina Navratilova won Wimbledon. 
the Baltimore Orioles won the World Series, beating the Phillies, and the New York Islanders beat the Edmonton Oilers. So this is this is a, a widely uh, requested case. Oh, so I'm 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 happy to be okay. finally here doing some fan service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dawn Fan Service Palumbo. If you guys didn't know, that's actually her nickname. It's what we call her in the business. I stop stop laughing at him with those. All right. Educators can sometimes spend more time with our children than we do and are definitely part of the village it takes to raise them. But what happens when one of those educators, an upstanding citizen, murders four, nearly five people? What causes a person to do that? I'm already creeped out. In the wee hours of March 15th, 1983, the community of Dickinson, North Dakota would be once again shaken to its core and just two years after the Swanson Motel murders. The killer would even call the police himself and say, I need help. I just shot four people and I don't want to hurt anyone else. John Huber, a Hazen native, was a 37-year-old math and science teacher, even a basketball coach at A.L. Hagen Junior High School. That was back when we called it junior high. Now it's middle school and I always trip up. Shows my age. John married his wife Gladys in 1967 and together they had two children. In 1983, the girls were 14 and 9. Gladys Huber, 38, a Halliday, North Dakota native, was John Huber's estranged wife. According to documents, they'd been separated for approximately three months. Gladys was an internal auditor and worked for Maurice and Kathleen O'Connell, both 53, and also living in Dickinson. The couple owned controlling shares of the American State Bank branches in Dickinson, New England, and Kildare, North Dakota. Maurice was the president. According to New England, North Dakota law enforcement, Maurice O'Connell and Gladys Huber were seen leaving town after finishing a long week at the American State Bank branch there, installing computer equipment. And so let's remember it's 1983, so that, really? computer, yeah. <laughs> that computer equipment was probably the size of a huge. Beer. Like yeah. it's like hauling in a couch to set <laughs> right, up a computer, right? And so they were they were seen uh, leaving New England at about midnight. So again, a long a long week from city center to city center. It's about 25 to 30 minutes. So technically, it's 25 miles from New England to Dickinson. So it's an easy, it's an easy trip home. Yeah. Easy breezy. About 12 miles from Dickinson at approximately 1230 AM, John Huber saw his wife as a passenger of Maurice O'Connell's vehicle. Claiming he wanted to talk to his wife, he bumped the O'Connell vehicle with his Ford Bronco. And I guess prior to cell phones, we chose property damage as the main means of getting someone's attention. Um, like, it's very reasonable. Like, you know, we don't. We throw rocks into windows how about a wave? and just how about car a wave? bump. And, yeah. Nope. Yeah. It was, it was, hey, I, I want to talk to you for a second. Not the old Midwest Hit wave. Maneuver. It's just yeah. pretty, come on, where's the Midwest wave guy? Right. Yeah. On the, on the steering wheel with the fingers. Yep, two right? fingers. Yeah. Two fingers up. Three uh, fingers or more. It's weird. <laughs> so he did. He, he, he tapped the vehicle. And what investigators actually think happened is Huber was attempting to push the O'Connell pickup off the road. So when the vehicles came to a stop, Huber stepped up to the pickup and with no exchange of words, Huber fired his 10-gauge shotgun into the front seat of the pickup, hitting both Gladys and O'Connell. Gladys in the neck and O'Connell in the head, killing both of them. Jesus. Huber climbed back into his red Ford Bronco and drove about five minutes down the road to the O'Connell home on Palm Beach Road. When Huber arrived at the home of Maurice and Kathleen O'Donnell, 53-year-old Kathleen was looking out the diamond-shaped window of the door when Huber shot her in the face with the same 10-gauge shotgun he used to murder her husband and his wife just 30 minutes prior. I can only assume she heard someone drive up and she wanted to know if it was her husband or not. Just 
willfully expecting to see your loved one return home yeah. and you're met with a shotgun. And there, there are only two people that know what, what actually happened. And sadly one is no longer here. So the bloodbath and the carnage were far from over. Continuing his rage, Huber drove to his wife's relative's house. Tim and Dinah Rieger, along with their nine-year-old son and three-year-old daughter, were sound asleep when the doorbell rang. Tim looked out the window and saw the Bronco belonging to his brother-in-law. When Tim answered the door, Huber said he wanted to talk. Allowing him to step inside, Rieger was closing the door when Huber, taking higher ground, a couple of steps up on a small flight of stairs, turned and aimed the deadly shotgun at his brother-in-law. Tim then ducked in the nick of time, just as Huber's shotgun blast peppered the wall behind him and broke the window near the front door. Tim fled the house while his wife and kids remained sleeping. Hiding around the corner of the outside of the house, Tim heard another shotgun blast. He painstakingly waited for the man he called family to leave his home. When Huber drove off, it was then he found his wife, laying where she had been sleeping next to him just a couple minutes earlier, dead from a shotgun blast. His kids were safe, though. Oh, man. I am so glad those poor babies were spared. I yeah. thought that was going. He then he then called the police. And this was one of the things that popped into my head. I, I can only imagine the amount of guilt that that guy is living with to this day. If he ran out the house, you know, I mean, what and what could he have done? You know, I, there's there's but I'm uh, sure that that is that is played over and over in his head. I mean, every day. Thousands of times. I I. I can't bring myself to judge somebody how they mm-hmm. might react in a fight or flight scenario because people with the no. best training in the world break exactly. in, in those yeah. types of moments. And it's, it's a horrible tragedy and there's no telling uh, no, what might have, no. well, maybe, that, you know, you, you could reasonably think I, I'm going, he wants to get me. If I, if I get away, he's going to chase after me uh, out like, like right, you're luring right. the danger away yep. from that's, yep. that's certainly that's a potentially a, a direction mm-hmm. somebody's thought process might go, but right. either way it's, yep. yeah, it's uh and, and that question of course, doesn't come from a place of judgment. I mean, by any means, I think it's just more, more of a, a natural a, reflection. A, well, and an, an, an empathy maybe towards him, you know, of, of probably what he, what he probably continues to think of today. So in just an hour, Huber killed four people, almost killing five by 1am. He called law enforcement and said to the dispatcher, I need help. I just shot four people and I don't want to hurt anybody else. Within five minutes of his phone call, he then walked into the police station, which was then known as the regional law enforcement center and turned himself in. Wow. Just easy, easy as that. Just, you, you're just going to slaughter four people and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So detective Richard Bartz was the one to interview Huber and Huber was ready to play games. So according to Detective Bartz, Huber, Huber just didn't want, I think he was almost like he was building his, his defense because he knew, he knew he was caught, right? So according to his interview with the Dickinson Press, Bartz said, he started playing with me. He tried building his defenses right away with manipulation, which is classic him, as I learned later. He said he blacked out and I would waltz him right up to what happened down on the highway, down south of town here. Oh. Then he would jump right over it and say, she wouldn't talk to me. It was like he blacked it out. Well, I later learned that only a sane person does that. An insane person doesn't black out. So he was playing with me. So he thought he was going to have some sort of upper hand by going in there. I'm going to come in and I'm going to give you my story. And yep. Yep. Well, and, and even like detective or, or those interviewing, were just going to walk him through it. Right. Like just 
you're like, yeah, it's, it, this is what happened. And, oh, really? Is that, is that, that's, oh, that's what it was. Oh, okay. You know, so it's super duper weird. I mean, you can't be upset that a murderer turns themselves in by no, by no measure. No, of course. no, like but if they're going to dig just, you around, I think then you can be annoyed. Of course. <laughs> right? right. So police would conduct numerous interviews and it was through those that they would figure out just how many bodies were out there. They, of course, searched Huber's vehicle and in the Bronco, they found a letter he'd written to Gladys. Someone, some would even describe it as a manifesto of sorts. What? So Huber said he was going to, quote, take care of her boss and also wrote, quote, O'Connell's wife, Kathleen, must also be terminated. He continued on with what his plans were and said, quote, Timothy and Dinah are also necessary targets. And, quote, you will pay the price. Words like terminated and targets right? are so like oddly terminated. specific, not like, must be killed, not must no, be taken care of, but terminated. Like, that part was like, that was the, the, like that was weird. Right? It, like, it is. It, it, yes. It's just, I know it's just an adjective, but it's not typical killer speak, right? No, no. I mean, but terminated like that's, and I mean, you have to, you have to remember like this guy's a teacher, right? And a, and a coach and Pillar of the community on some levels. If he's a basketball yeah, coach, yeah, well liked, well known, well liked. Yeah. yeah. How many how many students does he have running around out there? That <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. So the Huber thought, and where this all comes from. Oh, and I have to add to his his letter slash manifesto even detailed how he intended on on killing Gladys's parents who lived in Halliday. So wow. I think so if he what, would have, so my, my so theory many and kind targets of, on his list. Yes. And so I, I think if he wouldn't have, and this is kind of my theory, putting it you know together, if he would not have hit uh, or if he would have succeeded in killing Tim, he would have continued down the list. Hmm. But, but in an even detective Bartz was like, he knew he was caught. That's right? messed up. You think he, so if he had eight or nine people on his list and he, he botched the kill of number five or six, number five it was. And so he's like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm not, I've killed enough. I'm going to turn myself in. Right. <sighs> yeah. Weird. It's perfect yeah. or nothing. Basically. Yeah. I know it's super, super weird. Yeah. And I, ugh. so Huber thought his wife was having an affair and he thought anyone who knew about it needed to be taken out. In addition to the letter found in the Bronco. Whoa. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Right. Like it's, and so that explains a big long list, you know, of, of people, Everyone including her who parents. he believes was keeping this secret from him or was in yes. on this conspiracy to from hide his, his estranged this affair. Wife. Wow. He's a strange wife. Right. And divorce proceedings were already, they were already in, in process. Okay. So, so estranged was truly estranged. They truly were estranged. Working yep. their way, heading in opposite directions. Yes. Yep. Well, she was heading in her yeah, opposite direction. Right. In addition to the letter found in the Bronco, they found 23 other items of interest. There was a blood stain on the seat cover, a double-barreled Blissfield, Michigan model 7-Eleven shotgun, empty shotgun shells, three bottles of Michelob, and a 22 caliber revolver, along with a bunch of other papers in, in, in addition to the, the manifesto that they, that they found. So he's got a shotgun. And this- The this, double barrel- and this son of a gun picked up his empty shotgun shells. Not once did he fire from his vehicle. Right. So it's not like they were just, they cast off like, or not cast off, but just, you know, well, he's, he's, right he's got a, 
He's got a creepy ass manifesto, so he was clearly prepared, and, and there was some calculation here on his oh, part. For so of course, sure. that's why the, the the turning himself in is really weird and surprising. The more I learn about this guy, it's weird to me that he turned himself in. I, yeah, well, but I think I, I think there is there's got to be some some weight yeah. to that as that far as perfectionist you know. hiccup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. An interesting thing to note was the patrolman who was part of the interviews with Detective Barks Barts knew Huber on a personal level, so. I mean, he's, you know, he taught. Well, it's a small in, town. They're buddies, I'm sure. Huber was patrolman Leon Schlitz's basketball coach. Oh, So here he wow. is interrogating his basketball coach. His basketball coach. coach. Mm-hmm. So in the first interview with Huber, which I would like to point out, was thrown out in court because they never allowed him to get legal representation. It's 1983, okay. so you Criminals can't. do have rights in 83. They, well... Unlike some of our other stories, they do yeah. have some they, they, rights they in 83. They have rights, but they just, you could just do things differently. Right. But anyway, the, the interview was still a doozy. So Detective Bartz was explaining the process of obtaining a lawyer when Huber abruptly looked up, sobbing, and said loudly, No. Oh, it was so ugly. Why? Ugly. He trailed off. Huber would continue to sob for the next six minutes while Officer Schlitz patted Huber's back, attempting to calm him down. Wow. While Officer Schlitz patted his basketball coach's back. I don't know. Imagine having a comfort of murderer. Yeah, right, right. Huber then continued, I tried to talk to her. She laid there. She laid there. In a whisper, he then said, she laid there. Detective Bartz, still in interview mode, said, is this your wife, John? Not answering immediately, Huber kept crying and finally answered, Why was I? It was Gladys. He then started coughing and spitting up. But he then continued. Oh, why doesn't she just understand? I wanted to talk to her. He whispered with a sigh. I wanted to talk to her. I want a lawyer. I'm afraid. I'm so scared. It was bad. It's on my fingers, my shoes, my pants. She doesn't love me. We tried so hard to communicate. Everything I said, she twisted. She turned. I don't know why she just made mountains out of molehills. That is an abundance of internal torment. Well, internal torment, but also he's, he's putting it on her. Yeah. yeah, And he also, to me, he's insinuating that. Do you think he tried talking at her corpse after he shot her? That's what I, that's what I think. Right. And then, you know, he finally, finally, Begins processing yeah. the horror of what he did. Yeah, yeah. And he's looking down at himself and there's blood and brain matter on him. Right. Yeah, it, right. it's... Can you, I mean, my goodness. I, it's just, it's... It is a fr- blood-curdling, freakish situation. Yes. Yeah, she just made mountains out of molehills. So that means you get to shoot her with a shotgun. Divorce infinitely easier than murder. Well, and... Can we just, can you guys just don't, don't kill your spouse. Just get a divorce. Not the move. Killing your spouse, never the move. Okay. I think we can assure you, uh, just with the research that we've done and and you guys listening to true crime, it never works out ever. Just get the divorce. The the problem with that line is that it never works out because if it did work out for somebody, we don't know about it. So, okay. That's fair. You're out there. You creeps. We know about you, but we don't really. Very philosophical, but Yeah. Yeah. So when he described seeing the brown and white pickup of O'Connell's, he said, and I knew he was in it. I asked, I wanted to talk and I followed them and he pulled off and she ducked down. 
sort of like a rat in hiding. Oh. Then a high-pitched wail came out of Huber's mouth with both of the other men trying to calm him down again. He just referred to his wife as a rat in hiding. I, I'm just shaking my head in absolute horror and disgust. This, the, the stuff coming out of this man's mouth right now. A rat in hiding. So Believing, maybe yep. in an attempt to start his insanity defense, he asked the detective how they ended up catching him. And Detective Bart said, you came right up to the station. <laughs> like, Wait, I'm sorry. Like, Hang on. Did you say he asked them, how'd you find me? Yes. How oh, did, how did you end up catching me? Well, that's clever. Wait a minute. How'd you guys get me? Wait, what am I doing here? It, right. And whose clothes am I wearing? Yeah. Where it's the, why am I so messy? Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> it was, it, it, it was just absolutely, absolutely insane. I want to find this. Uh, I want to find this quote because it's just like, it's not dude, brilliant, but right. at least I mean, you had a plan. You can, but you I can suppose. See that, well, least, did he though? Like, I no, mean, it's, I don't it know. seems no. pretty off the cuff. Well, yeah, he, he had a manifesto. He obviously, plan, for he, sure. he obviously, he obviously planned the, you know, his, his manifesto worked yeah. out, but didn't plan, you know, when shit hit the fan. So he, uh, so again, he said that in the quote from officer Schlitz, I'm sorry, not detective Bartz said, you came to the station, John, right up to the front door. Simple as that. And remember, like he called, he called in on himself at 1am and right. by one Oh five, he's like, Hey, I'm the guy I'm on my way. Yeah. I, I mean, just clearly some mental health issues. So in the interview, I'm sorry if I missed it. Where did he call in from? Cause there was no cell phone. So did he, he stop that home real quick no, and just, just called he, himself in? What he did was he just, he just tapped a PD car and oh, was like, okay. no, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. I'm kidding. I was like, no. oh, okay. Remember that's how, that's this how we started. Makes to, sense. That's how we started to communicate. Yeah. Like, oh, Hey, I had to tell you something. Uh, no, it actually never, it never said where he called okay. from. That's a, yeah. yeah just that's a point of curiosity. Question. Well, right. I just, and I'm me in this and my, house, I killed some people in, uh, I did it. I'm really sad about it. I'm on yeah. my way. Well, and me and my 2020 were, or 20, what year is it? 2022. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just say 2020? Yeah. Wow. Hi. I don't remember the last two years, apparently. Uh, I'm like, oh, 1983. Like, I don't know where he called. Like, good grief. I just called from a cell phone. Um, he didn't. So in, uh, in the interview, um, Huber confided that he'd gone to see a counselor and he stated she'd called him crazy. Oh, and I know it was 1993, but 83, or yes. 1983, but come on, I, I kind of doubt that. I mean, I think even, even, even then, it, you know, we took that seriously. Like, I don't, I don't think the counselor's going to be like, yep, you are crazier than a shithouse rat, but like, it's <laughs> like, there's, there's, it's not going to happen. So I think that he was just like legit, just trying to, he, he was, was just trying, trying to, to lay set a foundation it up. Yeah, here. He was trying to set it up. He was trying to set it up. So trying to get the interview back on track, Officer Schlitz asked Huber what he'd done after he tapped the pickup with his bumper. Huber said, I bumped the pickup and he then pulled over. Then she wouldn't talk to me. She wouldn't talk to me. She just laid there. I don't know. Why? Why? Don't. Why don't people talk to each other, you know? Well, she's not going to talk to you now, you jackass. Like, it's... And the blood he was covered in of course, matched his wife's blood. Yeah, that's under not, no surprise. Not the only one, I'm sure. It would take, it's, just, it's insane. This guy is talking to his blood splattered wife riding shotgun. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, that's that was, it's just it's just it's so weird. It's so weird and disgusting. Yeah. Well, the prosecution or excuse me, it would take more than a year from the murders to begin the trial. 
they had issues with jurors. They had issues with juries. Uh, it was just, it was delayed. Which seems weird when somebody comes in and says, kind of says, hey, I did this, Well, but, but if, not quite so much. But if they're riding that insanity plea. You and know? then you probably have a lot of people who maybe feel pity for him in the for community sure. of some they sort, did. right? Yeah. With, the, with the jury selection. Yeah. So the judge had ended up, and then also an issue was the, the judge ended up having to give a little bit more time for an evaluation for Huber because- course sure. again as we guess psychological he was going for the insanity defense so it was you know they were giving more time and more time for for that so the prosecution had an unbelievable amount of evidence to prove that he was the one responsible for the bloodbath i mean that's no that's obviously no surprise but the trick would be to prove that he wasn't insane i mean right. that was that's you know and, and his his attorney uh even even said that that yeah i mean it's gonna it's gonna revolve it's gonna revolve around there and really, it's a it's a really bizarre thing to have to measure, right? You can't draw somebody's blood and go, well, yep, actually, uh, you, you're, it just checks out. You have the crazy chromosome. We, we got you, right? It, it, there's no surefire, simple way to determine right. yeah. these yeah. things. Yeah, there's a battery of tests, but there's like, well, the defense has their expert and the defense yeah. expert says he's crazy, but the prosecutor expert says, no, he's totally sane. And it's just, it's not one of those things that is entirely objective. I don't, yeah, well... And just like we discussed yesterday, you know, your like your interpretation of of crazy or important or whatever it might you be, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Whatever the word might be is going to be different from mine. You just, know, it's a very it's, you know, so it's so many things are obviously measurable insanity. Not quite one it's of not them. As, it's, it's not as easy. And and I would also assume, you know, too, that if 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 one even though you they use, um, I guess I don't want to say standardized testing, but. They use a standard method of testing. Maybe of that would be a better do. way of saying that. It's still it's not foolproof. It's, it's not foolproof, and it's still kind of interpretation. I, I mean, mean I've, I've watched it fail on one of our prior podcasts, and yeah. I mean, Bar Jonah comes to mind. So, yeah, that guy comes up so much. It's so gross. I don't. I don't like him. So Huber's attorney, Irvin Nodland, who is from Bismarck, said that Huber's mental state would be the primary issue, and and just as everybody was was gearing up for. They had, they had absolutely no, I guess there, there no, no doubt. Lack of evidence. No, no, no doubt, doubt yeah. that he was that in he fact was guilty of yeah. murder. Right. Yep. That's yep. not in contention here. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So in his, in his interview with the, the Dickinson press, detective Barts described how messy each of the crime scenes would have been, especially using a 10 gauge shotgun. Stark County Sheriff's office detective, Larry Buck would go into the gruesome grave details about those crime scenes to jurors once they were finally picked. Maurice O'Connell was shot in the back of the head through the rear window while he was sitting at the wheel. Gladys, it would come out during trial that Gladys was actually shot outside of the vehicle. So So Gladys probably witnessed the horror of his murder and and then was either escaping or drugged from the vehicle and murdered in the road. Yep. So one of the things that would would also help prove he was of sound mind when he committed these off crimes were some multiple testimonies that would that would come up. But before we go into that, he put on quite the show, quite the show. So as they were backing it up and and this is just kind of where it started and it it could have been true emotion. I, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but it's. It's also, it also could be part of a show. So he just began weeping during a recess. And I mean, almost uncontrollably weeping. 
And again, it could be genuine emotion. You know, I don't, I don't want to say that it wouldn't be. I mean, undoubtedly there's some emotion packaged in there. He left, he left behind a 14 year old and a nine year old. Right. I mean, so now he's, he's on the line. And if he is, if he is found innocent by way of insanity, it's it's still not, it's not freedom. Either way he's fricked. I mean, you know, so it's It's fricked, huh? What are are we in fifth grade here? What's going on? I've, I've said fuck a couple times. And so I was like, I was trying to, I was trying to, trying to clean it up a little bit. Don, I'm a lady Palumbo. That's right. It's can't, can't swear. This ain't the, this ain't the hockey rink, Don. That's that's typically how I'm described as a lady. Yeah. So Irv Nodland made a point to tell him, quote, there are still people who care, John. And who's Irv? His attorney. Okay. Huber replied, quote, I know. Thanks, Irv. And then that, I mean, and then he was good for the rest some, of the day, right? Even a little bit of Midwest nice for this quadruple murderer. Sure. Yeah. And so speaking to one of the prospective jurors at a later, uh, later time who was dismissed said, according to, uh, according to the, the Bismarck Tribune, Huber, the juror, I'm not going to say his name because that's weird. In 1983, they're like, Hey, this guy did this. Anyway, I'm not going to, but he, he claimed he did not believe that Huber had a mental disease and that he would not change his opinion. So even the jurors are like, no, this guy's totally full of shit. He murdered, you know, his well, entire family basically. Yes. And these people know him. They're, they're, yeah. You've got so many people that, okay, I know him. I'm acquainted with him. It's, I've been in proximity to this guy. Yeah. There's no way he's, there's no way he's crazy. Right. It, it, I, I'm not going to believe it ever. This guy coached a state, state championship basketball team or whatever it might be. This, he's not crazy. Right. Exactly. And, so another juror was excused because she would, uh, she again, did not believe in the use of the mental incompetency defense. I mean, so it's just, I mean, it is just re- repeated, right? There was another juror who was excused and I, I find it interesting to hear the reasons why, right? And, and so that's why I'm, I'm going into this because I, I, I think it's interesting, of it's course, totally to, interesting. To, to hear their, their perspective. So the, there was another juror who was dismissed and she could confirm that she worked for the firm that was handling the divorce for the Hubers. Okay. Then the other one. So she had an inside track. That's a bit of a legit reason. Yep. Yep. And, and then it just, it just continues from there. They, they, they wouldn't be able to more jurors claim that they would not be able to get rid of that, that or not, uh, not apply that uh, the state law regarding the incompetency defense. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. and, And it's like, if that's your hail Mary pass, bud, like it's, you, you, should have done better. The, if the, the, <laughs> the people ain't the people at Dickinson ain't buying it. <laughs> no, no. And he's I, selling snow in North Dakota. It's a good one. It's a good one. Thanks, so, Don. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, so it's it, these jurors. You know, are, I think we we lose we lose sight of that, right? Like any one of us could be a juror. Maybe many of you have, and, and we lose that person's life is in our hands as jurors. So to to hear from them and and to hear their their perspectives. It's absolutely fascinating. You don't always get those little insider no. nuggets. No, exactly. Because jurors are, are under no obligation to talk. So. Well, and again, it was 1983. So now somebody would probably say, go pound sand. but Or, or they'd say, well, yeah, I'll do it, but you're going to have to pay me and yeah. put me on your socials yeah. and give me I my 15 to, minutes. Yeah. Which does happen. I'll tell you everything I know. Just tag me on your Instagram. <laughs> it's the modern day true crime influencer. <laughs> so again, so going back to the, the multiple testimonies. What came out in trial is that Huber had been repeatedly abusive to Gladys. 
Mm. So three of the O'Connell's children. Small town secrets. Mm-hmm. Three of the O'Connell's children testified that they'd seen bruises on Gladys's face and also heard loud arguments between the couple. Now, the loud arguments, who hasn't argued loudly with their spouse? If you haven't, I kind of think you're not doing it right, but then I also... I, I also I also question like like can you tell me your secret? But and so and that was just that was just one of those um, just one of the testimonies. But there were there were multiple people that said that he had been he had been abusive. Poor Gladys. Yeah. And the one of the things that also came out was when she got the job working for the O'Connells prior to that, and I think the abuse is you know maybe evident, right? But she she didn't work outside the home prior to that. And so when she got this job, she started gaining independence, right? So if you kind of, mm. if you kind of break down the, the. Well, if she was under some sort of Huber's control, right? Clearly. Yeah. Would, and so then he feels like he's losing control. You know, it's, it's. You're losing, con- you're losing control. You suspect an affair in, in some ways, his life was unraveling and. Uh, unfortunately he believed murder was the answer. It was the answer. Yeah, exactly. And so throughout the trial, of course, you know, the, the, the attorney for Huber, Irv, good old Irv, uh, he would continue to use the insanity as, as a defense as, as that is, that is why the best of what he had. And so the, the, I mean, he was, he was day after day as far as, you know, up there just on, on rebuttal. And so one of the psychiatrists uh, that, that evaluated him from North Dakota State Hospital in Jamestown claimed that he did, he did suffer from a moderate to severe mixed personality disorders, but also... I can, I can see that. Yeah, but... Um, right. I mean, it's good one, Dr. Santos. Like, nobody saw that coming. Right. But a, but a personality... But he also made clear that a person, personality disorder is not a mental illness. Okay. Right. Which I think huh. I think from 1983 to 2022, I think that's changed. Yep. Right. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't yep. say that now. We, we definitely wouldn't say that now. Multiple personality disorder is not a that's mental what, illness. That's that what was, they're saying. Okay. That's what he said. But so I, so it's, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, if, if this were, if this were 2022, what would, you know, what would they, what would that actually come out? So, uh, he also said, quote, I don't think the patient had psychotic symptoms at the time of the incident. So kind of deals a blow, Right. And he, so he had been at the, at the thing, but he also goes on to say there was no loss of reality at that time. And this was, so he, he claimed throughout his evaluation at the state hospital in Jamestown that no, he was. Again, it's so, it's so bizarre because what, what exactly is a loss of reality and how can you prove or disprove that a loss of reality actually occurred? True. Yeah. Yeah. So he also he also said the, that he was not able to uh, kind of discern or determine if Huber understood how or what the basically the consequences of the of his actions. So he wasn't able to get there because Huber claimed to have no memory of the incident. He claimed to blackout. Oh, okay. We're adding blackout yes. into it. So again, the other, oh, wait, where am I again? The police station with brains on me? How did what? you catch me? Yeah. So Dr. Robert Gulkin, also a psychologist at the state hospital, said, quote, the very horrible scene was washed away from his memory in, in an effort to avoid the discomfort. I believe that Mr. Huber's condition at the time would not preclude him from comprehending the consequences of his actions. 
So, I mean, they're, they're subsequently dealing. blacking out your murders does not in fact make right. you insane. Exactly. They're dealing you wore up wearing people's blows. brains to the police station. Okay. Yeah. You're not, let's go. You're, you're guilty. So Gulkin actually disagreed with, with the uh, psychiatrist that, that was hired by the defense. He disagreed with, with his testimony who had testified the day before. So he diagnosed Huber as suffering from brief reactive psychosis and pathological intoxication, both of which are mental illnesses, is what is what Dr. Stevens, the, the defense psychiatrist, said. Pathological intoxication. That's a even, good one. I don't even know what that means. No, I like... like <laughs> it sounds fun, it but does. this guy murdered sounds, somebody, so right. maybe not. Like, Brief reactive psychosis, right? And and then pathological intoxication. Well, you got you the got, former you got sounds drunk, terrible. The, the got, latter sounds maybe. On, I mean, you got drunk on on continuous lying. Like what? I mean, like what? It's it's. I don't know. It was drunk it, on maybe. Well, in this case, in this guy's case, maybe drunk on control and and drunk on maybe ownership yeah, of yes. his wife and yeah. his family yeah. and what was going on For and sure. and having a complete grasp on what was happening. And then with his wife's independence and in in this, that, that yeah. it's starting to, it's starting to sure. add up. Right. Interestingly enough though, prosecution and defense agreed that Huber was the one that fired the fatal shots. So right. it, it's again, I just want to say that like nobody was denying that he didn't do it. Well, and I think if, you know, this is 83 and they really like their lie detector tests, why not just give each of the personalities a lie detector? Okay. Get all five of his personalities. Let's lie detector each one of them. You're joking, right? Are you being dumb? I can't tell. I can't, I tell. can't tell if it's something they would have done or not back then to well, prove in 19, multiple personalities. In, 19, in 1983, Come on. yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Sometimes when you say things, I can't, I'm like, I can't tell if you're joking or not. Me know? neither. <laughs> is it which one, which personality is that? <laughs> that's not, I'm not joking about anybody that does have to suffer get a lie detector it's, test to find out. I want to take one just, just, to I would actually it. take one for fun. I just, yeah. I, I don't think, but I would no, t- maybe I, I wouldn't I, because what if they set you up? Sorry, that's it. We're derailing here. That we definitely are bantering yeah. now. No, yes. So again, Huber would be dealt one of the stiffest sentences because he was found guilty. And one of the stiffest sentences that Detective Bartz would ever see in his career. Huber was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences. Five. Four counts of murder, one count of attempted murder. I did the math earlier. I know we say that we don't do math here. It's not, it's not Midwest math. But I did the math earlier and honestly don't remember the, na- the number at this point. But I think it's like 175. So. Yeah, 175 years. So Huber, said, said math, almost not real. That was <laughs> right. your other personality was, did that one it was, and forgot. It was, it was an the equation. Uh, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was my shitty memory. So Huber, no doubt, will die in prison. And he's still there. He is still there. Oh wow! He's not getting out. Five consecutive life. No, I, he's still. But that's this is so long ago. Right, he's not they, dead. Half the yeah. time we get to the end, and these guys, these guys passed away solemnly in prison no, or something. He is, he is, he's still rotting. He is chilling about six miles from here. Wow! Mm-hmm. Even in North, right in North Dakota. Yeah. Yep. He is in the North Dakota State Penitentiary, and I guessed at six miles. I don't know. Right. I mean, as, two, the, as the crow flies, two and a, right. two and a half, three. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Seven it's to close. thirteen minutes. Yeah, from here, yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. See, if timing yeah. wise, depending on how the lights line up, <laughs> right? So no one will ever truly know the motive, and if it may have actually been the thought of an affair, then I guess then you know there there's a there's an explanation for it, but no one will truly know. And obviously, with you know this fella not uh, not remembering it, he's not going to say. 
And he's never he's no changed his stance all this time stance. in prison. Yeah. Wow. And what's interesting, the more the more cases we cover though, I try to think about how many we actually know that answer to. And I don't think it's I don't think it's that many. So Det- Detective Bartz has a theory though. Quote, first of all, it's a personality thing. Then it's paranoia and they feed on that. They can't let it go. And it keeps building and they start fantasizing. It keeps building more and more. And pretty soon it owes to, it, they decide they've got to do something about it. That's my opinion. So one question that, that kept popping in my head is how can someone who is so loved by those around him be such a monster behind closed doors? And I, I think the only thing that I can, I can come up with is, is everybody truly wears a mask. Ooh. I can't add to that. That's, that's a great close right there. This, this guy fooled an entire community. An entire community. There was a monster underneath there that murdered four people. However, because I always have to bring it back to mental health and, and trauma, right? So did he just snap, right? So he, he served with divorce papers and loses it, right? If, if I mean, we've got this, this narcissistic control freak at, at this point. Yeah. Did he just, was that, was that the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Unfortunately, yes. For a lot of men who kill, especially particularly women, it is a losing grasp on the control they feel they have in that woman's life. And that pushes them to kill them. And it's, we've seen it time and again, and it, it is a really, really disgusting yeah. fact that, that we live with that comes up time and again in these stories. Yes. So Detective Bartz in his, I want to leave you with this, with this final thing. And, and it was, it was his, one of his remarks to the Dickens press in his interview with them. Quote: if you're experiencing this, you need to do something. You just can't let it fly and think it's going to get better. It's not. Things don't go away in reference to the abuse. I mean, it escalated. So it's a, it's a shitty story. Sad. It's very, very sad. I mean, just this, you know, this manifesto that this guy created this plan. It, it's sad and it sounds like it damn near could have been worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Resources for today, historicnewspapers.com, the Dickinson Press, mainly Jackie Jaffetson, the Bismarck Tribune, and some court documents. Because he, uh, he did give the old, uh, he gave the appeal process the old college try. Okay. But ultimately they would decide that nothing yeah. needed to change. Clearly, still hanging out there. So this episode was written by myself, Don Palumbo. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. Thank you so much for being here. Check out our merch store. You can find the link on any of our social media or tpublic.com slash store slash Midwest murder. Don't just search Midwest murder. You'll never find us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on whichever platform you find Midwest Murder on. A big thanks to everyone who has so far. Yeah, and remember, sharing is caring. If you've already yeah. reviewed and, and maybe you got a friend who likes podcasts, you can let them know about us. Give us a plug on your social media. It really helps us get the word out. And man, Don and I, with your support, we're really fighting to get into them charts. I think it'd be yeah. really amazing if this little this little podcast from Minot, North Dakota crack some charts. That'd be awesome. And it would be a big thanks to our fans and listeners. Absolutely. Midwest Murder is hosted by Joan Alanto and Don Palumbo and produced by the Good Talk Network. Thank you, Bismarck. Thank you.